at Anchored Hope, we're committed to excellence. We believe that compassionate, biblically grounded, clinically informed counseling shouldn't be hard to find. That's why we are also committed to affordability and accessibility. To do this as a nonprofit, however, requires us to lock arms with people who care about the mental, emotional, and spiritual crisis happening all around us. Whether it's $5 or $1,000, we need your help. These proceeds go to men, women, and families, pastors, ministry leaders, and missionaries across the globe in need of counseling care today. In order to join us, go to anchoredhope.co backslash give and join the cause for accessible, affordable, and excellent counseling care today. Anchored Hope provides practical help to those hurting by anchoring their hope in Jesus and helping others gain a better understanding of his promises. We offer reputable biblical counsel to those suffering or experiencing difficult seasons. Our counselors are highly trained and bring a vast experience in addressing the various issues of life. To meet with a counselor, visit anchoredhope.co to find a counselor that fits your needs and schedule an appointment today. Today on This Versus That, we're talking with Dr. Al Moeller. Dr. Moeller serves as president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. In addition to his presidential duties, Dr. Moeller hosts two podcasts, The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview, and Thinking in Public. He also serves as the editor of World Opinions, writing regular commentary on moral, cultural, and theological issues. He's the author of several books, including The Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church, The Apostles' Creed, Discovering Christianity in an Age of Counterfeits, and Culture Shift, Engaging Current Issues with Timeless Truth. Today, we're talking with Dr. Moeller about cultural engagement versus avoiding culture. How do we engage the culture around us while maintaining our integrity as Christians? How do we challenge unbiblical ideas in a way that help others see the goodness and beauty of God's truth? We're so glad you're joining us for this important and fascinating conversation with Dr. Moeller. So let's jump right in. Dr. Muller, we are so thankful that you are here with us today. We're talking about something that I am also leaning into all of the time with my family and kids and my church, and that's cultural engagement versus avoiding culture. And a big part of your legacy of leadership really relates to this topic. So I'd want you to begin by sharing when and how that vision for cultural engagement developed for you. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate the question. It's just, it's good to be with you. Uh, I, uh, I was a teenager in South Florida in the 1970s. And uh, that was a tumultuous time in that place. And, and particularly for evangelical Christians, because all kinds of things were happening. Things were breaking loose. And uh, so I was really looking for how uh, I could understand a Christian view uh, of such things. Uh, did Christianity uh, imply, require uh, a consistent, a certain understanding of how the culture works and, and how Christians should operate within the culture? And, you know, I, I, was a, I was a teenager. I didn't have a lot of resources, but I'm very thankful that uh, some very good resources came into my life. The influence of uh, one man in particular, close, and uh, that was uh, uh, James Kennedy, at uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, right mm. down the street from my church. And then uh, through him and some others to Francis Schaeffer, uh, one of the mm. most influential evangelicals in the 20th century. And Schaeffer is really about mm -hmm. that. And, 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 and he had really built his ministry on uh, helping uh, evangelical young people, and, and for that matter, sharing the gospel with many young people, 
but helping evangelical young people to understand how to engage the culture. So I, I just kind of learned it as evangelicals were growing up into this question. You know, as we talk about this topic, one of the things that I think about is just how Christians so often, I think, long for this idyllic experience of being disentangled from all the moral chaos and the polarization that we see all around us in our culture. I'm wondering, as someone who engages culture all the time, do you think there can be a healthy or even biblical impulse underneath that desire? And if so, where, where does it go wrong? Where does it lead into escapism or apathy? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, uh, I preached yesterday at the church where my wife and I are members, Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville. Uh, I preached on Galatians 3.23 through 4.11. And uh, the body of Christ gathered in that place and, and filling the room, I'm very glad to say, with young people and families and people of all generations, but a very, very young evangelical Baptist congregation. Uh, the fact is that, that we're engaging the culture all the time, but that's not what we talked about uh, when the church was gathered for worship on Sunday morning. Now, there, there are times in which there are direct applications, but in other words, I, th I think a very healthy ecclesiology is required for a healthy engagement with the culture. A very healthy understanding of the gospel is required for a Christian understanding of the culture. We can't start with the culture. We have to start with the gospel. And uh, so that th that is is my warning to people, uh, because you start with the gospel, you're going to discover the gospel does have implications. And, and so it's the implications that kind of get us into trouble. The, the implications are the headlines. Uh, the New York Times has never called me and said, what is the gospel? The New York <laughs> Times calls me rather frequently and saying, well, what do Christians think about issue X or Y? And so I want to keep that order very straight. I hope that makes sense. But I, it, it, the gospel mm -hmm. is political. Uh, Jesus was crucified by legal authorities. Uh, the, the gospel is political. It was political in the first century. It's political now. It, it's our job to make sure it's, the, it's political in the right sense and not in the wrong sense, because certainly in my lifetime, I've seen both. Yeah, I think w as a mom who lives in New York City, this is a very practical topic for me. As we walk down the streets of New York City, the first thing that comes to mind are cell phones for kids. I have a 13-year-old yeah. girl, and she's in the city by herself all the time. So we are struggling with how much of this do we let her engage with? There's kidnapping signs now all over the streets of New York City. And my seven-year-old's wondering if she's getting kidnapped. And so this mm. is a really practical, you know, I, I'm trying to tell her, no, she's not going to get kidnapped as we're walking down Broadway right now. But there is this sense in which there's darkness and there's light. And those two aren't necessarily against each other, but they're with each other in front of these kids' eyes all of the time. How would you, in, in this kind of, I want to engage with them, but I also, I would prefer for her not to have a cell phone, or I would prefer for them not to see kidnapping signs. But I also yeah. know that if I don't engage with them in this way, then I'm actually going to stunt them in a way that could be biblically loving and helpful. How would you encourage a mom like me? Yeah, well, God bless you. First of all, I want to say God's encouragement to a mom like you. And, mm -hmm. uh, Potter is the mom of uh, three young children as, as well, and she and her husband are trying to figure out some of these things. And, and by the way, not to make the cell phone the primary issue, I do think that might be the most dangerous invention in modern mm -hmm. human history. Yeah. Um, and I do really fear uh, the impact to the phone culture, which comes with the social media culture, right. uh, really uh, brings in, into children and teenagers, uh, college students these days. But nonetheless, you know, 
I, I think we have to keep a couple things in mind. Number one, Christianity was born into this. Uh, you had Christians in Rome, Christians in Corinth, Christians in Ephesus. And, and that meant that you had Christian moms raising children in a very, very difficult cultural context back then. Uh, I've been to those places, and uh, you you know uh, what was going on in those places. You know, somehow a 15-year-old had to go out and buy, you know, whatever his mom sent him to get, and there's no telling what he passed on the way there. Um, and, and so it requires a different kind of parenting that if you're growing up on a farm and, you know, in the Great Plains, at least in terms of what they see walking down the road. Uh, now, in terms of, uh, again, the digital revolution, everything's now on the farm, you know, as as well as uh, in Manhattan. But, you know, uh, Christians have had to respond to this in many different ways. And uh, one of them is just understanding that I, I think it's it's very important that when you look at the New Testament, look at how many of the letters of the Apostle Paul are written to cities. And cities were then as cities are now a mixture of, as you said, light and darkness. And uh, raising children in that context is very difficult. But frankly, there's no safe space now. And admittedly, walking on the streets of Manhattan, you have everything with a, a, a rather significant concentration and increase. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think you probably are aware that, you know, uh, there could be people a long way from Manhattan who are struggling with the very same questions. And especially, mm -hmm. and it's just, again, you mentioned the phone, the digital revolution collapses all that space such that everybody's basically in that problem. Yes, I feel it myself. I think even as we talk about mental health in this space and just the overwhelming impact and the needs of mental health as they grow dramatically more and more and more, that we aren't necessarily meant to have all of this information at our fingertips. I can't help in certain areas right. of the world, even though I care about certain areas of the world, so I end up carrying the griefs uh, that I wasn't necessarily designed to carry. So in the midst of that, too, I, I think I even personally struggle with where do I where do I seek to engage and and impact the culture in a great and good and godly manner? But when should I step back and say, that's that's not I want to love those people, but it's not my problem to solve. Yeah, you know, the Christian church has, has tried to think through some of these questions and with a, a lot of moral seriousness and with a gospel worldview. And one of the principles that comes up is the principle of proximity. Mm -hmm. And and that's even evident in the Old Testament, uh, in the instructions of God uh, to Israel. You know, it's it's the widow and the alien and the orphan in your midst, first of all. So, you know, uh, proximity really matters in moral terms. And so, you know, the the hungry child near you is a more pressing moral issue than, uh, you know, resolving peace in a far part of the world in, in which you might have very little impact, but you do have moral interest. And as a Christian, you do have mm -hmm. gospel concern. And so I think proximity is really, really very important. It goes with the Christian moral principle of subsidiarity, where the greatest truth and goodness are, are they subside in the most basic unit, which is why the family is so important. Marriage is so important. It's because you, you can't have a strong community if you don't have a marriage culture. You can't have uh, the the raising of children uh, in 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 a way that, frankly, is even efficient. That's not an adequate word for it, but let's just say if it's not efficient without parents, and so that proximity issue is just very important. Uh, you especially in a city like Manhattan, you know, within the context of New York. I mean, uh, quite quite frankly, uh, you can't take responsibility for much of that city. 
but th there are needs proximate to you. Many ways we have the problem of there's an oversaturation of shallow engagement that keeps us from right. discerning where the Lord calls us to engage actively with others. Um, you know, yeah. Can, can I make your point in in a way that 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 is is tangible? Um, let let let's say that you get a flyer for a hunger ministry, uh, or a, a, let's just say a, a non governmental organization, a nonprofit uh, uh, seeking to address world hunger, and they say send us a hundred dollars. Um. I think we all know that the $100 uh, in almost every NGO situation is going through different. I mean, first of all, they have to, they paid the mailing. Uh, they ha had to buy a mailing list. You know, mm -hmm. you just go down the overhead. It's very significant. How much money actually gets there? On the other hand, if you give $100 worth of food to someone in your neighborhood, it's worth $100. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that, that, that principle of proximity really is important. It doesn't mean we have no responsibility. To the hungry elsewhere in the world, it it is to say that uh, there are efficiencies in 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 in, in frankly uh, charitable giving and in charitable action that at least have to start where we are. Doesn't mean that ends there, but it does start there. Yeah, that's that's so good, Dr. Mueller. One of the you know one of those forms of active engagement is conversation with people who who think differently than us. So one of the things I've really appreciated that you've done is you're thinking in public podcast where you're doing long form conversations with people who mm -hmm. sometimes are believers, sometimes they're not believers, often sharing things that are very valuable to us. And there are going to be places where you disagree with them. Love for you just to speak for a moment about the, what's the value of that for you personally? Um, I would love for you just to talk about what's, what's the value of those conversations in general? How do you personally benefit, but then what's the larger benefit to those of us who are listening into those conversations? No, I appreciate the question. You know, most of the people that we invite are not uh, Christians, at least by, by their identification. And uh, the most fun for me is uh, the conversations that are, uh, frankly, uh, from a completely different perspective. And I'm preparing for one right now this week, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, I just think that we need to model for Christians what it means to have a very respectful but honest conversation with people who might even see us as the problem. You know, in other words, uh, in the great conflict of ideas, we're not in the same space. But you know what? Uh, at, at the very least, we can learn to speak accurately about one another and, and to be very clear about what argument someone actually is making and not misconstrue that argument. And... Uh, you know, I just think for gospel purposes, even having a relationship, I, I love the fact that there are people who have, uh, have been in, engaged in a thinking and public conversation with me, and and frankly, from a very different worldview, and they've recommended to another author, you really need to talk to him. Uh, you know, I, I I think that's just a real affirmation. I, I, I actually think for Christians, it's a good thing that a significant number of non-Christians say, you know, if you have the chance, you ought to engage that conversation. Mm. Uh I, I I think we can do this on the college campus. I think we can do this, you know, in the in the neighborhood. Uh, but thinking in public is one way I can do it with uh, others able to be a part. That makes me think I was at Tim Keller's memorial service a couple of months ago. And of course, there wasn't an empty seat or a dry eye in the entire place. But the the amount of unbelievers and the different people that he chose to speak with and the impact that he had in people's lives that you had no idea about because he it. It wasn't public, but it was just this ongoing conversation with people that were not like-minded. 
and that you would have never known about, but clearly he impacted because he kept that conversation going uh, and exhibited Christ's love to them, which is such a beautiful thing to be able to see. And but it, it, as you're talking about that, it's also I, enjoyable. Let's just say, yeah. I, I, that's the other thing. This is not an imposition on us. It's it, it's hard work in being ready to, you know, discuss someone's major mm-hmm. book and 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 really trying to understand their thought. But it is not unpleasant. Uh, there are some uh, ticklish moments. But you know what? I've discovered that people like to talk about what they believe. And uh, authors like to talk about their books. And mm-hmm. uh, people of ideas like to talk about their ideas. And uh, I really do think it's possible to do that respectfully. And uh, the the mark of it to me is that someone would be ready to do it again. You know, in other words, mm. they didn't feel like they were mis, uh, mistreated or disrespected. But I, I I just want to tell people there's a there's an exhilaration in this. There's a there's a there's a an honesty in 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 this. You know, I tell Christians for the Great Commission and and just because of the Imago Dei, you know, when you go to the Little League game. And, uh, you know, you might be there because your children or your grandchildren, I should say, are, are, are playing in the Lily game. And, you know, here's a same-sex couple over here. Do you sit at the far end of the stands or do you go over sit next to them? Uh, I think they're good gospel reasons to go sit next to them. And, uh, you know, if, if, if that's awkward, well, you know what? Life is awkward. But on the other hand, uh, you might be cheering for the same team. Uh, and mm. you might have an opportunity for a, a, a really substantial conversation. Christians need to lean into that. Mm. So how would you say that we lean into that in a way that invites others to consider the goodness and beauty of truth as opposed to just outright disagreeing with them? Well, sometimes we have to outright disagree with them, but that's usually not where we start. Okay. Uh, you know, in other words, I don't uh, spare. I don't I don't walk up to someone and, you know, sit next to someone on the airplane and say, so who did you vote for in 2020? It's uh, that's... probably good that you don't do that. <laughs> no, I mean, or, or you know, uh, you know, what's your position on marginal tax rates? I, I, I just don't start there. Uh, I often uh, ask people, you know, uh, you know, and, and I, I do meet quite a few on planes or in transportation, by the way, or in an airport. And I'll just, you know, say, you know, where are you headed? You know, uh, what do you do? Uh, there are just ways of starting a conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they care, if they have a book in their hand, that's an easy place to begin the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I look, it, it, some people don't want to have a conversation and, and you know, that's in God's hands. Uh, and, or some people uh, may, you know, be more eager for the conversation than you expected. That's in God's hands too. Uh, but, you know, I just, I just think, you know, we have Christians right now who don't know the names of the people who live next door. That's a mm-hmm. problem. Now, it yeah. may be that uh, that the people next door don't want to be known. Well, then, again, that's in God's hands. But uh, Christians ought to be taking more initiative than we take uh, to at least start these conversations. I was just telling the story to Brian before we got on here, and we had an evangelism panel after the sermon on Sunday morning, and mm-hmm. they invited my seven-year-old daughter to join the panel because <laughs> she— yeah. continues to invite people to church. But I watch her on the playground and I was engaging with her asking, you know, how do you invite all these people to church? And she said, well, I just ask them, you know, do you want to go to the swing set? And then I say, well, where do you go to school? And then I say, where do you go to church? And if they say they don't go, I said, well, do you know who God is? It's, she, it's just the simplicity oh, wow. of, yeah. and she she's outgoing and she's fun. And she's the kind of kid that on the playground, everybody wants to be playing with. So it works for her well. But you could hear the whole congregation go, ah, it was like, 
a simplicity yeah, of relief sweet. that yeah. it doesn't have to be complicated. But she she was mir mirroring this image of we build relationships and we ask questions. We don't go in, you know, with guns ablazing. And I think that's really important when you're talking about cultural engagement versus avoiding culture. She's not avoiding them, right. but she's engaging them in a way that is simple and loving and cares about the person on the swing set with her. Yeah, that's very sweet. And by the way, a swing set's never a wrong place to start a conversation. <laughs> it's pretty good. It, we've got a lot of swing sets around here. So she's yeah, that's good. she's got a lot to choose from. You know, I think it's important for us to to maybe put this in context of wherever a person is. And we've talked about proximity and those kinds of things. How does someone discern what that proximity should look like for them? And I'm thinking about people maybe in a secular work context versus a stay-at-home mm -hmm. mom. How would you discern what that needs to look like personally for somebody? Well, you know, we, we all have a, a social network. Uh, I, I say we all, right? The vast majority of people listening to your podcast have a very <laughs> well-established social network. And, and so people tell you things, you find out things, uh, you see an ambulance pull up, you know, uh, the, mm -hmm. there, there is, there, there, there are social cues all around us all the time. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I honor very, very highly uh, moms who you just described as a stay-at-home mom. But you know what? Uh, there are, in proximity to that home, uh, so many people. You know, I, th I think, by the way, pushing a stroller is a fantastic way uh, to find a conversation. And especially with other people pushing strollers. And uh, so you find yourself in a situation in which I mean, unless you really are, you know, living in Antarctica, uh, there is proximity to you all over the place. And, uh, you know, this is where I think the local church is really, really important because the local church helps to define that for us. Um, the body of Christ meeting together and in a defined space, in a defined place, uh, and, and, and with people who may be drawn from different places, you, you find out how that proximity is defined uh, you know, our church is deeply involved in all kinds of ministries. Christians are involved in this community in all kinds of ministries from a crisis pregnancy center, which is far more than, uh, you know, walking out on a sidewalk carrying signs, uh, but, but, uh, but helping moms and uh, helping families and uh, networks of others who are doing all kinds of things in the community. We're close to a university. So, you know, students are very proximate. And you know what is true about all college students? Uh, number one, they tend to be rather open. They tend to be very friendly. And third, they're always hungry. Uh, and so, you know, they're just, and, and, and frankly, they often need a, a, a centering, securing, you know, conversation. And, uh, you know, the, that's proximity. Uh, and the next thing you know, someone's introducing you to someone else. So I, I don't want to suggest it's just easy to come down with a, you know, a, a get a legal pad and start writing down who's proximate. I think, you know, stepping outside the door and talking to the people you meet, that's one quick way to start finding out what's proximate. That's so true. I found my church in college because they fed me. Now, thankfully, yeah. also happened to be a church where they had great preaching and community. And, you know, I grew there as a, as a believer, but... Mm -hmm. The initial attraction was, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? Well, if I don't have to go back to the school cafeteria, then absolutely. So, yeah. Um, well, look, 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 in all honesty, look how much in the Old Testament and the New Testament is based on table fellowship. Yeah. Jesus didn't get in trouble, uh, you know, for um, 
discussions that took place in the school library. He got in trouble for the fact that he talked with sinners and ate with them. Hmm. So Dr. Moeller, when we think about, you know, verse that comes to mind as we think about cultural engagement is in Jeremiah 29, the, you know, those who are in exile in Babylon are called to seek the welfare of the city. And I think most Christians, when they hear that would say, amen, that's something I, I, I want to do. I believe I'm called to do. And then might immediately feel a sense of overwhelming just dread of like, oh, how do I get started doing that? And I think it goes back to the fact that we, we live in the macro so much. We're always kind of so focused on things that we can't influence that we lose sight of where can we get started with how we can influence things locally or seek the welfare of the city that we're in. What would you say to someone who feels that sense of being overwhelmed with how do I get started living out that, that command in Jeremiah 29? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, we need to recognize that it takes an army to do this. And by that, I mean the church. So we're seeking the welfare of the city. You know, one of us is is not going to be able to make much of a dent in uh, in the city, but we can uh, we can make a difference, again, proximate to ourselves. And together, we can make a lot of differences that add up potentially to a lot of difference. And so, you know, I, I, I think of that verse in Jeremiah, and, and it is very poignant because it's a, it's a word to exiles uh, about the city. We should seek the welfare of the city. And yet, you know, for Christians, it really does begin with making certain that we, for instance, are good citizens. Um, and, uh, and, and by the way, I don't just mean that in terms of a political citizenship. I mean, it, it, it means, you know, we, we get married and stay married. Uh, if, 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 and we, we have children and we, we, take care of them. And uh, we, we uh, involve ourselves with others to, uh, to educate them and to build community with them. And then we reach out to others who are outside even the family structure just to, in, in order to try to, uh, to seek their, their welfare as well. It does extend to laws and policies and legislation and elections. It does extend to school boards and uh, to curricular questions and all the rest. But um, it has to start with the fact that we see every single human being made in God's image, and thus we have some biblical obligation to every single human being to seek the good. Now, that can be very contentious uh, because we have rival notions of the good. And so that is a basic issue that that conservative evangelicals just have to name uh, in our context. Uh, We have very different uh, uh, conceptions of the good, but we at least have to be driven by what biblically gospel-minded Christians have to know is the good. Yeah, I think it's important to, just in a practical sense, I think a lot about media in this as we're having this conversation, because oftentimes I don't know who to listen to or if I listen to them, what to actually believe, what not to believe. If I go to one part of my family's house Uh for Christmas, they're going to have Fox News on. And if I go to another friend's house over here, they're going to have CNN on. And if you go over here, you know, someone else is going to say, we need to listen to this independent journalist. Everyone is going to be listening to someone different. Right. And living in New York City, quite honest, often when I hear about the city in the news, I feel like it's wielded as a weapon. And people are always saying, are you okay? Is this going on? I'm going, I've never heard. I didn't even know that was happening in the city. But, But it's on national, you know, television. How... How would you counsel us really to engage in that? How much, you know, I think in an older generation, 
the news is kind of always on. In the younger right. generation, we're always on our phones and it's we're learning about the news on TikTok or Instagram. There's such a disparity there. But what should we do about that? Well, you know, that's kind of why I do the briefing every day, uh, at least Monday through Friday, is to try to sift through a lot of these things, to help Christians understand even how to engage the media. And so I try to speak explicitly, you know, this is, I'm, I'm sourcing this particular statement to this source. This is what this source means. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's overwhelming these days simply because there's such a mm -hmm. volume of news. But you take what's going on, uh, for instance, in the, uh, the, the war in, uh, uh, with Israel and Hamas right now. And, you know, you could be talking about three or four different worlds, depending upon where you have that conversation or you hear it covered in the news. But we can't abandon ourselves to nihilism when it comes to actually understanding what's going on in the world. And that's where, you know, you have to figure out, you know, this is what the source means. This is over time how this story unfolds. Uh, here's how we critically engage it. And here's how we know the we can detect the worldview from which this is written. Um, we need to listen to more than one source and uh, we need to kind mm -hmm. of check one thing by another thing. But look, I don't think I don't think individual Christians need to spend all day on this. That's one of the reasons why some of us try to do that, you know, on, on, at least on behalf of others, uh, at least consider this uh, and, and think about this. And uh, I don't think the news should be on all the time. Uh, I mean, for one thing, I, I, I could not do a good deal of what I do if the news was on. It's mm -hmm. just too much talk and it's too much of the same thing said over and over again and too much of it for distortion effect. And uh, so. I don't have a magic answer to that other than uh, I think it's good for Christians to be in conversation about these things. And then you, you, you can, you know, sometimes you don't have to say to a brother or sister, you know, you're too interested in that. Uh, this is a reality <laughs> check by some of the, how, how mm -hmm. some of this comes down. And uh, you're so right about the fact that everything is now brought to everyone all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's more than a human being can can take. Yes, and, and so we should just be honest about that. This is more than I can take, uh, but I need to know this much in order to be faithful. I need to know this much in order to talk to my own children about this, about how Christians should think uh, mm -hmm. about this. And I think we need to model that we're learning all the time. Yeah. So, you know, one example of that is with the Israelis kidnapping signs on our streets, because we live in a predominantly right. Jewish community on the Upper yeah. West Side. And I've had to go and read about what the conflict yeah. is so that I can explain it to my seven-year-old Right. that, you know, she doesn't have to be afraid when she sees those signs because she's going to see them on every block here to school and back. Yes. And what is that? And so it's really, I've had to learn about what it means and what it looks like and not to necessarily fear it, but engage with it. And then pray for the people in our community, which is what that engagement has looked like for us. I can't fix the conflict, but we can pray for those people. And I can teach my seven-year-old that we're going to go to the Lord and ask for his help in learning about this, which is the most simple thing I know to do. Right. And and look, we care for all people. And we yes. want for truth and righteousness and justice to prevail, not because you know it's a cartoon slogan, but because it's God's mandate. Uh, and, and, and I don't think uh, we can talk about these things sometimes without taking sides. And mm -hmm. and being very clear that that doesn't mean we don't believe that the other people are human beings made in God's image. It just means look in a fallen world, there are just some horrible things that happen, and we've got to do our very best to figure out, you know, what this means in terms of righteousness and 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 justice. 
And we are in a very, very dangerous world. You know, the 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 one of the hostages just releases a four-year-old girl. She, she turned four in captivity. Both her parents were killed. And, uh, you know, she didn't even know it. And you, you look at this and you go, what a horrible, horrible situation. Uh, what a horrible crime. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, as a grandfather, yeah, I'm very protective. Um, but I do think it's a, it's an, it's a conversational moment. I'm glad you're there for your children, uh, to talk about this. I think that's part of why God, you know, entrusts Christian moms and dads with children Mm -hmm. is to entrust them to, you know, thinking through these things together. And, you know, the brokenness of the world is something we can't hide from our children. We do want to protect them and Mm -hmm. guard their hearts. We don't want them to be fearful, but you know, um, they're going to pick up on things and those conversations with you are just really, Mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. Which is why we want to live here and wherever God has called Christians to live is again, is that proximity conversation. Uh, We would be remiss if we did. I have to ask this question too, because so many of our listeners are pastors and I, what something that will make my skin crawl is when a pastor feels the need to speak about something with maybe it's publicly, maybe it's on Twitter, maybe it's in a sermon. When should a pastor know when to engage publicly about culture and when to talk about something and then maybe when to withhold his opinion or if it's not opinion, his biblical perspective on what that what what pick a pick a topic. It could be any topic, whether it's COVID or the war or, you know, cell phones fill in the blank. But pastors are there's this there's a problem here because pastors need to speak about particular things and they're leading congregations and they need to be teaching the word of God, obviously. But then where do they need to, to maybe not speak up? You know, that's the golden question. I wish I had a golden answer. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you I don't, don't I thought you did. <laughs> no, I don't know exactly how to answer that question. I, I'm sure there are people who think I speak to too many things. There are people who think I speak to not enough things. Um, and, uh, you know, I do think it's different when you're a pastor and uh, you're seeking to help the body of Christ to think about and grow and be faithful in a context in which all these issues arise. Uh, I think it takes a lot of godly wisdom to know, I really need to speak about this. I, I really don't need to speak about that. I think the most important issue is, is this a gospel issue? Is this a biblical truth issue? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think a pastor should be known for his position on marginal tax rates. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't think that, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, policy reform, uh, you know, in, in terms of the administrative state, there, there are important mm-hmm. issues there. But I mean, that, 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 that's not helpful to the congregation and, and, you know, in getting in the grass and those things. And it would be odd, I think, for pastors to be too, in, too involved in, in those things. But, you know, when it comes to matters of life and death, when it comes to uh, issues of creation order, uh, I mean, it's getting a lot closer to being unavoidable for pastors to speak to these things and or even unconscionable for them not to speak of these things and so i i don't i don't have a golden answer to that i i admit it's a perplexing issue i think by the way that uh just to be blunt twitter is a horrible place to experiment with trying to figure out that distinction i'll amen Um, that i'll give you a southern baptist amen there, you know, sure. I, I, I just think it's too easy to say stupid stuff, you know, in a 280 characters on Twitter. 
uh, I, I've changed the way I think about Twitter. I use it basically where I can sometimes to encourage, uh, and, and I post stuff, you know, uh, content more than anything else, because I, I just, I don't want to, uh, to be, I don't want people to have the expectation that when something happens, I'm ready with 140 or 280 characters. I don't think most issues can be reduced to that very well. Well, it's actually encouraging to me that you don't have a golden answer for that question because in 20 years of pastoral ministry, I wrestled with that every Sunday. Well, not every Sunday, but when things came up in the news cycle, there was always right. a question in my mind, is this worthy of, of taking some time away from the exposition of God's word or leaving the end of the exposition of God's word in a way that would speak to this issue? Or is this something- yeah, I Can I make that concrete? Uh, you know, I, I think in historical terms, I think the vast majority of thoughtful, biblically-minded Christians will think that German pastors didn't say enough in the 1930s, mm. okay? I, I think that we can agree that Christian pastors in much of the United States uh, didn't say enough in the 1960s about gospel imperatives, uh, creation order, imago dei issues. Um, I think we can also look to election seasons and other times when Christians have said way too much. Uh, and so I just want to say it, it can happen both ways. And uh, I do think sometimes it takes an historical perspective. I, th I, I don't think there'd be many people who would say, you know, I think Christian pastors in pulpits even in Germany in the 1930s should have said less. I think they should have said more. Uh, they were avoiding texts they should have been preaching. Uh, they were avoiding issues they should have confronted. Um so I, 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 I think sometimes it takes some time to figure this out. And sometimes you figure it out by saying, well, that was a mistake. You know, we, let's not do that again, or at least try. Mm, that's really helpful. But we would be remiss also if we didn't ask you about the role of institutions in engaging yeah. the culture. You know, you've devoted the last 30 years of your life to really rebuilding an institution that matters so much for the evangelical world. And so beginning with the local church, but also institutions beyond the local church, what, what role do they play in our engagement and culture? Why do they matter? You know, I think that's a great question. And I, I think we find it in, in some ways wh where we didn't know it was there in Genesis chapter one, um, when the God having made man and woman, male and female in his image. Uh, gave uh, the responsibility of dominion, and uh, and 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 that dominion means there are things that we have to do in this created world as those who are the image bearers of God. Uh, there are uh, you know things that that there are crops that need to be planted. There are companies that need to be established. There are hospitals that need to be organized. And the moment you do that, you you really begin to create institutions because institutions are the long term representation or, or actualization of that uh, impulse uh, to take dominion, uh, to uh, to create, you know, a hospital where it hadn't been. Because, you know, it's, it's not enough to have people who are well-intended about helping sick people. You actually need a place organized for that purpose with people called and trained for that purpose in one place. Uh, civilization requires institutions. And, you know, you find this even in, in very early civilization. You have the development of schools. You have the development of courts. You have the development of government. If it's ancient Greece or ancient Babylonia, Mesopotamia, you're going you're to find 
uh, these institutions being formed. And institutions are arguments, institutions are missions, institutions are stewardships. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it takes an institution to, uh, to accomplish much. You know, you have to have an address. And that means that, by the way, yes, the digital world can be very, very powerful. But if you have a broken leg, your digital help doesn't help you. You you need a hospital, you and 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 you know an advice line, uh, and uh, asking on Twitter, what do I do about a broken leg? That's not going to help you. You need someone with a medical school degree, uh, and that that's institutions, theological education, higher education, schools, uh, the institutions of government. All of these are not to be despised. I think they are a representation of uh, what uh, human beings do in response to that responsibility of dominion. You can't do it without institutions. Now, we need accountable institutions. We need healthy institutions. Uh, and, and sometimes you have institutions that need to be corrected. Sometimes you have a you know, sell-by date on certain institutions. One of my favorite illustrations of that is, is the, all the, uh, the, the voluntary associations in London in the 19th century. I collect them. I collect the names of them. You know, like uh, the uh, Association for the Protection of Neglected Chimney Boys. And, and or, there you or go. the one who is, yeah, 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 or the Association for the Assistance of Tradesmen who have fallen on difficult times. You know, difficult I love times. these Victorian names. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, well, you know, uh, I don't think we have chimney boys anymore. Uh, but but you know, you look. You know exactly piece. what it is. That was really important. That, and as a matter <laughs> of fact, I got curious about that one. And I mean, it's just amazing how many of these boys were hurt. And mm-hmm. by the way, they were boys because they were small. That's a, not a good picture. You needed a small framed uh, boy to get down a chimney to do some cleaning. That's very dangerous work. I'm glad someone was looking out for them. I don't even know what to say to that, to the chimney. <laughs> I haven't thought about a chimney, that how to help chimney boys ever, but there you go. Somebody well, had it's to help an institutional them. question. You know, why are institutions important, yes. organizations important? You know, in Victorian London, someone said, you know, someone's got to organize on behalf of these boys. Yes. Someone's got to organize on behalf of these tradesmen who've been injured. Those are just that's just an example of an Somebody, you know, Christians were known uh, throughout uh, Europe and uh, and the English speaking world as the primary organizers of schools and hospitals. That's not an insignificant thing. I think that's a God honoring thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. it's actually making me think about the PTA of. Mm-hmm. leveraging your influence where you are in that proximity to help the people in need in the time that you're in to actually impact change and make change come about and care for the people that need the care in in the places around you. And yeah. that's exactly, whether it's Victoria, London, or New York City, or the farm, that's happening everywhere any Christian is. Yeah. Uh, so one question that Absolutely. we want to end with here, Dr. Muller, is in terms of people who are wanting to learn how to engage, maybe even in terms of where do I look in scripture? I'm thinking about the wisdom literature and where in Mm -hmm. scripture, if you're wanting to grow and learn and wisdom and how to engage, what are the best passages for someone to begin to learn from? Yeah. You know, I think we have to start with the storyline of scripture and I, because I don't believe it's the, it's by accident. And so, you know, as, uh, and, and someone who's very thankful for the resurgence of biblical theology in the late uh, 20th and early 21st centuries, you know, we just need to continually think in terms of creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And, uh, you know, start with uh, Genesis 1, then go to Genesis 3, 
and uh, or then go to John three sixteen, and and then go to the promises of the kingdom. Uh, take a Revelation twenty, and and you look at this and you recognize, okay, I can hang everything on this. I can understand every issue. I can I can be a much better mom or dad. I can I can be a better neighbor when I understand that I'm reading every text of scripture within this context of creation and and fall and redemption and new creation. When I when I'm dealing with a neighbor. I do like I know I'm dealing with a person made in the image of God, Genesis one. I know I'm dealing with someone who is a sinner, Genesis three, Romans three. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and uh, at the same time, uh, I'm dealing with someone who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is a sinner who uh, desperately needs a savior, and at the same time, I am trying to make a difference in this world, but I am not bringing in the kingdom. Christ will inaugurate his kingdom in its fullness, even as we are a part of his kingdom right now, right here uh, in this fallen world. And so I just want to learn always to be thinking in those terms. And it's very helpful to me uh, to know what I'm dealing with, you know, right now. Okay. So I want things to be right socially, culturally, politically, but they can only be so right because we're not in the kingdom. We're just Mm -hmm. agents of seeking to bring about as much kingdom alignment as possible. Uh, but this also points to the imperative of evangelism. I mean, it 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 it, it is no good if Christians uh, are in society and because of that, you know, marginal social improvements are made if we don't preach the gospel, which is not just for this life only, uh, but for mm-hmm. eternity. And so, you know, I appreciate the question. I'll just say, hang everything on those great movements in biblical theology. And uh, and kind of build that in as an instinct in your life, uh, because it will keep you from doing nothing, and it will keep you from believing you can do everything. It mm. will ground us in Christ and uh, give us both the pessimism of real of a uh, reality of understanding what it means to live in a sinful world, but it also gives us the gospel hope of knowing that Christ is King, and His kingdom will have no end. And uh, every eye will be dry and every tear will be wiped away. You know, it's our job right now in this world, partly at least, to wipe away tears. Uh, But the day will come when that will no longer be necessary because every eye is dry. We're not there yet. Yeah. Well, praise God for that. And that's a a great note to end on because, man, that's just gospel hope, right? Christ, the solid rock that we all get to stand on. So, Brian, any last words? And did you have any other questions? I don't want to cut you off. Now's no, your I moment. Just, I just, just thank you for that <laughs> note. You, for everything you've shared, Dr. Mulder, and for that note you've ended on, I think it is a note of hope, and it reminds us that we we always labor with the end in view. And so I appreciate you um, taking well, this. Well, it's been a, a joy to be in this conversation with you. I'm very thankful uh, to know what you're doing right now, and I pray God's blessings upon you, your families, uh, your churches, and your listeners. Thanks, Dr. Muller. Thank you so much. You've been listening to This Versus That, a podcast of Anchored Hope Virtual Counseling. To learn more about this episode or our ministry at Anchored Hope, visit anchoredhope.co.